Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. Hey everybody, Drew here. What happens when we get into valleys? What do we do? So often we blame God, so often we turn to things of this world, when in reality we should turn to God because God can show us how to get through it and what He wants us to gain from it. But we also have to see who is really pulling those strings. So without further ado, let's get into it, and thanks for the listen. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. Be dealing with uh, verses 12 through 15 of James 1. Um, So as you're turning there, uh, some of you probably heard the story before, but I'm going to tell it from my point of view, not my father's. Um, and so when I, was, when I was a kid, we used to go to uh, a beach, and we still do, um, go to a beach called St. Simon's Island. It's an hour south of Savannah, Georgia. And we used to go with this family. They're called the Kellys. Um, some of you may know them. Um, some may not. They used to uh, come here on occasions. Um, and they have a son. The son's about four years older than me. And so he was ahead of me every step of the way in life. But when I was, uh, I was younger, I had just learned how to ride a bike that summer. Um, and so I was, I was excited and that's all I ever wanted to do. Once I learned how to ride a bike without training wheels, that's all I wanted to do was ride a bike without training wheels. So I just wanted to ride. So I rode all the time. And so I was, I was super ecstatic. And so I, I convinced my dad and my mom to bring down my bike and Lauren's little tricycle so I could ride at the beach because that's what I really wanted to do. It was just riding the bike. So we had uh, left the beach a little early, and we were going to grill out that night so I could ride my bike. They had made all these arrangements so I could ride my bike. And I'm pumped. So I, I go, and the thing about me riding my bike is I, I didn't turn well. So I really would just go in a straight line with my bike, and I would come to a complete stop. I'd pick up my bike. I'd turn it to where I wanted it to go. And then I would ride it in a straight line for a little bit longer. Um, and so, this again, they have a... Um, the Kellys had a son. His name was Josh. He was older than me. And so he was better at riding his bike. And I had never ridden with anybody. It had just been me, myself, and I uh, out here because we lived in the Parsonage at the time. So right where everyone's sitting is where I used to ride my bike. Um, used to ride all over the place on the um, pavement and stuff. And so he convinced me. He said, hey, man, look, let's ride together. Let's ride right beside each other. It's going to look real cool, man, like they do in the movies. And I had had two rules, and that was um, don't leave the road we were on. And don't ride next to Josh because I was not good enough to ride next to somebody. And so I was like, no, man, I can't. My dad get mad at me. He'll take my bike. I won't be able to ride anymore. This, I mean, this was the second day we got down there the first day. The second day we were there, this is occurring. And so I really wanted to, though, because I knew it would look really cool if we rode beside each other. And so I was like, no, 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 I can't, I can't. And so I was riding. I was staying away from him. And he kept asking me, and I really wanted to really bad. And it kept that desire I had kept growing. And so eventually to the point where I would get a little close to him, I would just drive real close. Now I would, I would stop and turn my bike and go the other way as fast as I could so my dad wouldn't see it because he's in the front yard grilling. And so I got closer, and I got closer, and I got closer, and I got closer until finally I was like, all right, man, let's do it. Let's ride beside each other. And so he was like, all right, let me turn my bike around. And so at that point, I hadn't come to a complete stop. I was still on going. And he turned sharp, and I hit his front tire uh, and did a front flip over his bike. And by the time my tail landed on the ground, my dad had picked me up. And I got in trouble, didn't get to ride. I got spanking. My bike was taken for the whole week. It was terrible. <laughs> but I had that desire. And it all started by simply him asking, hey, let's ride beside each other. Even though my dad had told me, don't get near him because you're not good enough to ride next to somebody. 
And so it started a desire, and it, it, it progressed and progressed as I got closer and closer. That desire grew, and I, I really wanted to do it. And that temptation was strong, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, until I finally did it. And within literally five seconds, I had wrecked. Um, we didn't even get to ride beside each other. I just hit him. Boom. Uh, so my bike wasn't messed up, so I was good when I got home. I was able to ride again. But we see James talking about this temptation, talking about this desire and how to fight it and where it truly comes from. So if you stand at the reading of God's Word, James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. It reads, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for... Allowing us to be here, thank you for letting me um, proclaim your word, Lord. Be with those who are in Kurachiba. Um, bless them, Lord, and let all ears be open to the gospel as they're down there, Lord. In my pray, Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing we see is facing temptation. We have to remain steadfast when facing temptation. All right. So what is steadfast? I'm not as smart as Daniel. Uh, I'm pretty sure everyone in this room understands that Daniel is on a whole nother level of smartness. So what I do is when I go to study, I find a word that I like. I know, but I want to make sure I have the definition clear. All right, so I get the whole picture of what God is trying to tell me. And so I Googled steadfastness because everyone talks about it, but when you ask people what's the exact definition, they can't give it to you. They can describe what it is, but they can't actually give you the definition. And so steadfast means resolutely firm or unwavering. And so when I think of this, I think of a rock. A rock is steadfast. A rock is not going to give way. Right? So I helped my mother. I helped my mother and my father. They, they put rock down at their house. Um, it, it's right there where the sidewalk, when you enter the uh, side door. And so as, as we were putting rock down, I was the one putting the rock. Mom was throwing them at me. Um, as we were laying them, Dad was bringing her a wheelbarrow. She would put them on the ground, and I would put them to make it look, like, look nice. And so my mom was tossing them to me, and as she was tossing them, I was not looking, and I was placing one, and it smoked my finger. I mean, it got me right there. Sandwiched my finger in between the two rocks. Hurt like all get out. I mean, it was terrible. I started bleeding and everything. But those rocks didn't give any. They stayed firm. My thumb is the one thing that gave out. And I was bleeding and everything. And that's how we have to be in our faith. We have to be unwavering. We have to be firm in our faith. And we have to understand that we cannot be wavering, because if we're wavering, then we'll fall off. We will fall off from our faith. And so we see, we see steadfast so often. We see it in the fruit of the Spirit. He talks about it earlier. James does in, in chapter 2. And so we, we have to see steadfastness is a key characteristic of a Christian. Because we, we are unwavering through our faith. You know what you believe. But that also comes from knowing what you believe. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read. Verses 2 through 4 of Psalm 1. It reads, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the, river, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaves shall also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff, chaff which the wind drives away. And so we, we, we realize steadfastness is key because if we are steadfast in our faith, 
David right here says, hey, you're, you're, like a, you're like a tree planted by the river. Its roots are firm, or its roots are, roots are deep, right? I have, a, I have a tree in my front yard. If anybody's been to my house, I have a tree right in my front yard. Boom. It's the only tree out there. You can't miss it. It's huge. All right, I wanted them to cut it down. I asked them to cut it down. They told me it was, if they cut it down, it was either going to hit my house or it was going to hit the power line and the hatchers and everybody else on my road would lose power. So that wasn't an option. So I kept it there. And so it was one afternoon. It was a Monday evening. And Mal, was, Mal works from home. I was with Liv. I was about to put her down for a nap. And all of a sudden, I hear boom, like super loud. I'm like, ooh, that's weird. Thinking someone had shot, someone had done something. My wife comes out screaming bloody murder. Somebody had come and hit my tree. The only tree I have in my yard had smoked it going 45. I mean, hit it. Come to find out she was on, on painkillers and uh, blood thinners and stuff like that. So she passed out and was just going and just hit the gas, hit my tree going 45. That tree never moved. You can, I mean, her, you can ask Leslie. She walked up. The car was in shambles, but that tree never moved because its roots were deep. That's how it has to be. When life throws things at you, when life attacks you, when Satan attacks you, you have to have, you have to be like that tree and have deep roots. You have to be steadfast in your faith. Otherwise, you're just going to fall off. I try to instill this in my, in my youth all the time that you have to know what you believe because if you don't, when you go to college, you go to the workforce, at that point, you have all the freedom in the world. You choose your schedule. You choose to not wake up at 8 o'clock to go to church. You choose not to go to church on Sunday night, Wednesday night. You make the decisions. No one's making the decisions for you. So if you go throughout high school, you go throughout the youth group, the kids department, and you're not firm in your faith, then you will waver because you're not steadfast in it. You don't have that concrete belief system that no one can push. I guarantee I cannot convince anybody in here that knows what 2 plus 2 is. I cannot convince you it's not 4. Everyone knows it's for because it has been drilled in your head and you know it for a fact. That's how we have to be with our faith. And now how do we get there? How do we get to that point where we are steadfast, where we are unwavering? If you go back to Psalms chapter 2, it says he delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in it. You have to enjoy reading God's word. You have to enjoy spending time with God. He delights in it. If it's a chore, you're not delighting in it. Trust me, I learned more in classes I wanted to be in than I didn't want to be in in school. The classes I really enjoyed being in, like advanced PE, I learned everything I could. You know, but classic classes, <laughs> don't laugh, you're making me laugh. But classes I really did not like, like math, I struggled in. Because I didn't enjoy reading it. If you don't enjoy reading your, uh, God's Word, if you don't enjoy praying, you're not going to do it. You're going to struggle with it. You have to take delight because you're growing with the Savior. You're growing with God every step of the way. And so we have to find delight in that. And that's when we become like a tree. Because if not, he says we're like chaff. The one thing I hate when I worked with Bradley was blowing leaves. Because I realized if there's any wind, leaves have a mind of their own. I could sit here and blow them this way. And as soon as I clear this area, the wind could push it right back. And I have to take five steps back and blow it again. Hated getting up leaves. Hated it. Because they just go everywhere. I guarantee if, if, if you blew a rock, it's not going to move because they're steadfast. If I go and blow a tree, it's not going to move. We have to have a firm foundation in what we believe. That's what he's talking about when he says steadfastness. We have to have steadfastness. Another place we see it, if you go back to James chapter 1, the second verse, it says, My brother, and kind of all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Patient. Some stay. Some versions say steadfastness. Man, that's tongue twister. 
So we see this is the second time he brought it up. The first time, it was for a purpose. It's so we could gain things. It was so we could gain patience. It, we, we could grow closer to God. We can be more like Christ. That's the first time we see it. first time he brings it up is for a purpose. The second time is for profit. If we go back to verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Which means my, my next point. Man, I need to learn how to talk. My next point. The result of temptation. The result. Again, we've seen the first, the first time in verse 2, he's talking about purpose. This time he's talking about profit. What can we gain from this? What do we gain from facing temptation? What do we gain from facing trials? What do we gain from being in valleys? And it's simple. We gain steadfastness, but we gain the crowns of life. Number one, you gain, it's simple, salvation. You have to know, to come, you have to know, you have to know who, what you believe. You have to know Christ. You have to love Him. And so, notice in verse 12, it says, Blessed is, and this is pointing, James knew that the readers of these would know what the Sermon on the Mount is. And so we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and every verse on the Sermon on the Mount is blessed be. It's the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. That's all we see. And James is referring back to that. So if we reread it with what blessed means, which is to be happy, it says, Happy is the man who endures temptation, for whom when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. To us, that's backwards. When we go into temptations, we're upset, we're down on ourselves, we're, we're crying, we're angry. Why are we going through this? Why are we doing this? But James is saying, be happy. Because you're getting something out of it. You're getting something out of it. It's that simple. You're not just doing it just to go do it and just to have fun going through temptations. No, you're not doing it. You're doing that to get something out of it, whether it's to get patience, get steadfastness, or it's to gain something like closer to God. And so we see another thing we could be rewarded. If you go back to, if you go to Job 42.10, you go to Job 42.10. If you go back to Psalms, it should be the next page or... On the same page. Job 42.10. We know what Job went through. We've all heard the stories about how bad Job had it in the first part of Job, in the first half of Job, and actually majority of Job. But see, we look in Job 42.10, and something else happens. We see it reads, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Joseph twice as much as he had before. Sometimes, guys, when we go through temptations, God will bless us here on earth. He will bless us with earthly things. Now, that's not the goal. That's not, that's not where our goal should be. When we go through trials, we shouldn't be like, well, I hope God gives me something earthly out of this. No, that shouldn't be it, but it might be a reward. God might bless us with that. Because again, James starts it off with blessed is. We might gain that. And so we have to realize that. My dad always told me when I literally, it was right, I had just married Mallory. Uh, we're at the, um, what's that thing called? Reception. There you go. We're at the reception, and my dad walks up to me. It's just me and him, and he goes, hey, look, number one thing I want to tell you before you leave and you're off on your honeymoon and you're, you know, starting your life with your wife. He said, number one thing, tithe. He's like, even when you don't know how you're going to pay the bill, tithe. Because God will bless you. He will have your back. He will not... He will not allow you just to fail. If you are giving back, if you're giving God what is God's, He will bless you. And in those cases, that's what we have to understand, guys. Even when it's hard, even when you're, you're going through it, give it to God. Trust God. That's the key. He will bless you. Now again, we see that it might be an earthly blessing or it might be a heavenly blessing. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 4.10. 
It reads, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. And so guys, we'll be able, you go through these trials, you'll gain these jewels, you'll gain these crowns that you'll be able to give back to God. And won't that be amazing that you're standing in front of God and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, and you give back what is truly his. Because it's going to be great if, if you get in. But man, is it going to be even better if you're giving God gold, if you're giving God jewels, if you're giving God these crowns, if you're just casting them at His feet. That is glorious. But I always want to make sure I say, though, we have to realize the number one thing we have to get out of this, we get through facing, uh, facing temptation, facing trials, facing valleys, is simple. That's salvation. Because notice if we go at the end of verse 12, it says the Lord has promised to those who love Him. It didn't end at those. It, he took, James took it a step farther because he wanted you to understand that there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to face these trials. And, and there's only one way for God to bless you. And that's if you are in the flock, if you are one of his children, if you love him. It's that simple. You, you know, we're not going to live perfect. There's not another way. You can't believe in Buddha. You can't believe in, in Dr. Phil. You can't believe in any of this. You believe in God and that's it. And you truly love him and give your life for him. That is the only way you get this stuff. It's the only way you're blessed through, through trials, through temptations, and we can count it joy, is that we have God on our side and the other side doesn't. It's that simple. We struggle because we don't rely on God. We struggle through these trials. We get upset through these trials because we're only looking at the storm. We're not looking at the God of the storm. That's the key. And that's where we struggle is getting to the results because we're not looking at God. We're looking at the storm. We're looking at the failures. We're looking at ourselves and seeing our flaws and saying, how can I get through this? When we should be asking God, how are you going to get me through this? That's the key. But so often we get so focused on the storm. As my dad says, you, you can't see the forest because of the trees. Pay we have to pay attention to God. And that comes through taking delight in His, in his law, reading His Bible. It's that simple. And then we see who is tempting us. Because so often all I hear is, why would, I don't know, I don't know what, why I'm in this storm. Why would God put me in this storm? Why God is allowing this to happen? The, my, my, my favorite one is, why would a perfect, I mean, a loving God do this to me? And this is what I always say to them. We have free will. The thing we hate about free will, we love free will because it gives us, again, free will. We can do what we want. But the thing we can't stand about free will is the consequences. We hate facing consequences. We do. We can't stand consequences. We want all the choices in the world without all the bad stuff that goes along with it. Every choice we make made has consequences. And we have to realize that. So guys, we, we, yes, when you choose to follow the world, then you're making a choice and you have to face those consequences. If you choose to follow the world with your whole life and never give your life to God, you are going to face a serious consequence. But so often what we tell, tell ourselves so we don't have to face the music is, I'm going to sing as much as I can, but I'm going to still get into heaven. We're going, we're going to see how much hell we can get into here on earth, but still make it into heaven. And that is the wrong way. The gospel is not intended for that. He is intended for you to give your full life to him. Look at everyone in the Bible. Look at the disciples. Look at the apostles. Look at Paul. They all gave their life fully. When they came to know Christ, they fully gave every aspect of their life. The only thing we give them is three hours a week in church, and that's all we give them, and we're like, that's enough to get me into heaven. And then we face up, we, we make other choices throughout the week that don't favor God. That is completely wrong. And so we have to face those consequences that sometimes when you get into 
these predicaments, God didn't put you in them. You chose these ways. You chose these options. And these options led you down this road to here because you weren't following God. You were following the world. That's the key. So we have to sit here and we can't sit here and say, well, why would God let this happen? God let this happen because he loved you and he wants you to choose him. He will never force himself on you ever, ever. And we have to realize that if we go to verse uh, 13 in James, verse 13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Go, if you go to Job 1, I'm not going to go there. If you go to Job 1, you realize that Satan comes to God and asks if he can tempt Job because he says the only reason Job follows you is because his life is perfect. His life is great. And God allows him to. God never attacks Job himself. He allows Satan to. He, Satan is the one who attacks us. And so we have, we have to understand that. So blaming God is completely wrong because God is not evil. And he, and he can't tempt us with evil because He is not evil. He is good and He is perfect. And so for Him to tempt us with evil means He is evil in His heart, which means He is not God. That is what we're saying when we say, well, God is tempting me with this. And so now we go down to verse 15. In verse 15 it reads, Then when, his, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So going back to that story I opened up with, with, with me riding the bike, it was a progression. I didn't just get on my bike and say, I'm riding right beside Josh. It was a progression. I got closer and closer and closer while riding my bike to where I felt like, okay, well, I've gotten this close. I can ride right beside him. It wasn't like I was just like, let me just try this off, off cuff, off jump. Let me just try it. No, it was a progression, and that's how it is. We have desires. I mean, Satan puts desires in your heart. He puts temptation in your heart, and it's not until you act upon those, those temptations, those desires, that it becomes sin. My, my mother, I love her. She is, you know, greatest mom ever. I love her. I wouldn't choose another mom. If I had another mom, I'd punch her and go back to my mom. You know, all that good stuff. <laughs> um, but no, I, I love her to death. She, she's, she's a great mom. So I'm, I'm trying to lose weight. I, it's a slow process. But every time I go to my mother's house, she makes a pie. I don't know how she knows when I'm coming in the door. But she makes me a pie. She, lo- she knows I love chocolate pie. And so she'll make me a chocolate pie. And it's like she's waiting on me. She has a little plate out, has a little fork out. The piece is already cut. It's not on the plate. But it's right there. And then when I come in, she says, hey, Drew, Drew. Slides it to me and says, I made you some pie. Knowing I'm weak in the spirit, I'll eat it. <laughs> but my mom is not causing me to sin. She's putting that temptation, that desire there for me to eat that pie. It's, not, it's only when I act on that is when I, I lose my diet altogether. You know, it's only when I act upon eating that pie that I actually lose my diet. Me just sitting there smelling it and looking at that pie is not doing me any harm. My mom's sitting there saying, Drew, you want some pie, don't you? You look like you need some pie. That ain't making me sin. Now, it's not helping... But it's me acting on it is the reason that I, I'm, I'm cheating on my diet. Guys, you have desires. Everyone has different desires. Everyone has di- different temptations. Everyone has something of the flesh that is drawing them away from God. And they're all different. That's not sinning. It's only when you act upon those are you sinning. You know, I, I mean, I'm going to a big one. But hey, if you think about murdering somebody, first of all, you need to really th- rethink your life. But it's not until you act that you're sinning. Now, yes, Jesus says, don't even think of it because you've done it. But still, you, if, if me and Mike are hanging out, Mike is like, man, I really wish I'd murder him. He, hey, he's still good. He hasn't sinned. But the moment he takes the knife to my throat, that's, that's when it gets real. 
right? That's what we have to understand. The desire that you have is not the sin. The sin is when we act on it and we're acting on our own accord. No one is forcing you to sin. And so we have to stop playing this victim game like, oh man, I just hate that I'm, I'm so sinful. You're sinful because it's in your nature. It's who you are. It's not until Jesus came and died on the cross that we were able to get away from that sinful nature. And we have to understand that. And so we see it's a progression. And so the last thing after sin is death. God didn't create us to die. We see He used to walk in the, in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. He wanted us to live with Him in harmony. And it wasn't until we sinned, we caused that separation, and a punishment for sin is death. And it all stemmed from us sinning in the Garden of Eden, and it became, we became sinful by nature. And in that moment, we had to die. We had to die of, of our sins until Jesus came and paid that price. But we have to understand that. That death is not a result of God wanting to take us from the earth. It's a result of our sinful nature and us falling short of the glory of God. Us not being perfect. We have to realize that. You might be in the deepest, darkest valley of your life right now. And there might be a temptation or desire that you're just absolutely struggling with. And it gets like that. It gets to those points where you just, it's like you can't shake it. Every time you think you're doing good, you just can't shake it. He's saying right here, come to Christ. Christ will not tempt you. He will, he will heal you. All you have to do is give it to Him and actually give it to Him. So often we come down here and we pray or we pray in our seats and we get up, we pick it back up and we walk out the door trying to fix it ourselves again. That's not what Jesus wants us to do. That's not what God wants us to do. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. I always tell my youth, for, uh, put your name in it, For God so loved Drew. Because he does. He loves Drew. He loves Mallory. He loves Miss Susan. He loves Steve. He loves Daniel. He loves every single person. It's a very broad term, but he loves you on a personal level too. And he wants you to draw closer to him. He wants to help you get closer to him, but we have to rely on him. We cannot rely on ourselves. Period. And so, where was that? Oh. So notice in verse, verse 13, it also says, nor does he himself, oh sorry, for God cannot be tempted by evil. God can't be tempted by evil because he's perfect and he's good. He's perfect and he's good. If, if he got tempted, then he would cease to be God because he's not perfect. And so he is perfect and he is good. So we can take that with that knowledge and understand God will never tempt you. If you trust him, he will never let you down. He will never stab you in the back. He will never lead you down a road you don't want to go on. That's the key. Don't try to drive your life yourself because you will go down paths you don't need to be down. You don't want to be down thinking, hey, I have the best intention. People here on earth, no matter how much they care for you, will lead you astray. No matter how much I love my wife, I don't have all the answers for her. She's going to fight stuff. She's going to go through valleys that I will be here to support her with and I will be by her side, but that I myself am not capable of helping her. The only one that is, is Jesus Christ. But so often we look to people like that. We look to our spouses. We look to our best friends. We look to Dr. Phil. We look to, to all these people. And, and God can use those people. Don't get me wrong. God can, God can use psychologists. God can use psychiatrists. God can use your, your wife, your, your husband, your best friend. But I'm just saying, make sure you're relying on God, not that person. Because that person can be led by God to lead you in a good spot. But make sure they're being led by God too. That's the key. We all are going to struggle. You're, if, you, if you say, hey, look, I'm not struggling in a valley right now. I'm on the mountaintop. That's great. Just be ready because a valley's coming. A valley is going to come. You might be in a valley right now. 
And just know God loves you. And God wants to help. You just have to let Him help. There are people in this room struggling that you might be in the deepest valley of your life. Rely on God. Allow God to take over and, and steer you back on track because He will, because He loves you and He wants to help. Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcva.com.